You are entering the Freedom Hut. Oh, it's International Climate Change Day. So the climate catastrophists are out in full force, including millions of children, it seems, who are being told to march in the streets to stop CO2 from being in the air. Why is this movement relying on children to do its dirty work? We'll get into that. And also the whistleblower complaint. Oh, no, Trump is finally going down. Psych, not going to happen. We'll get into that more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. I'm sick of it, and so are all of you. And we are not here to talk about our sacrifices and our doom and gloom and not existing. We are here to create! We are creating this movement every day, because every day of inaction drives more I'm 19 years old and like so many people my age, I feel really visceral anxiety about climate change every day. Um, And today as we speak, millions of young people all around the world are uh, taking to the streets uh, and going on strike to demand climate action because we feel this incredible urgency. Uh, If we're going to have a livable future, we need a Green New Deal and we need it as soon as possible. The Buck Sexton Show where we are celebrating day of action on climate change we are celebrating it's a it's a party in here my friends producer john is spraying aerosol cans all over the place smoking cigars just lighting just lighting paper on fire just to you know one kill the trees and two put some smoke up in the air producer mark he might just be flying private this weekend who knows he's not even going anywhere he's just gonna get in a plane and get up in the air and just fly. He's gonna be in like a G six and just do circles, man. He's gonna be doing he's gonna be doing donuts in the sky in his G six to celebrate. They want action on climate change. We give you action on climate change, my friends. What we started out with there were a series of very widely distributed clips in the media right now of children because today was really Kids Day. Kids Climate Change Day. That was the, what the, the centerpiece of this, which is also why I can tell there are people coming after, you know, of course, now I'm kid bashing because I'm talking about millions of kids being out on the streets, elevated by the media, elevated by Congress, who have been made to be fearful in a way that they describe as visceral anxiety. You heard that. You've got a 16-year-old girl who is, who is telling you, I want you to panic. I want you to think your house is on fire. And we're supposed to do what? This is what is being offered up for public policy debate. This is what we're supposed to listen to. We have to listen, but not criticize. I'm sorry. Not on my watch, not today. There you have a situation where it's very clear what the tactic is here. The left brainwashes kids with this climate change lunacy. 
then throws them onto the front lines of the policy debate as human shields because you can't criticize kids, but you have to listen to them. My friends, the people who don't see this garbage tactic for what it is are dumb or dishonest. There is no third option. This is disgraceful. It's also disgraceful that the New York City public schools, as long as somebody has parental permission, are allowed to go march. Go march on this issue. As though this is something that requires not just our urgent attention as adults, but is more important than, you know, learning to read and add and subtract. Because, by the way, a lot of the kids who are marching, they're of that age where that's what they're learning to do. And I don't know about you, but on a highly politicized, highly partisan issue of not just U.S., but global public policy with trillions of dollars of wealth at stake, with endless regulations and implications for your day to day lives down to the most minute detail. I don't think I'm going to be lectured by people that still have to work on their multiplication tables. I'm sorry. Does that make me a bad? Am I am I kid bashing Daily Beast? Does that make me a bad guy? I mean, I'll just put this out there now. Open challenge to any lib who wants to debate with me. You want to take this one on Bro Cuomo? Fake Tapper? Any of the above? Anyone? Anyone? Oh no, I'm I oh, I'm not gonna waste my time with him. They don't waste their time debating anybody, by the way, who's really going to debate them. They only have people on their own shows where they can talk over them, shout them down, determine the subject matter, determine what elements will be used, what quotes will appear on the screen, what sound bites will get thrown into the mix. They never leave a friendly forum because they would get schooled. You know, what should be happening to these kids? School stuff. Learning. I, I don't know how they're not, there's not a greater sense of embarrassment on the left. There's no sense of embarrassment. They act like this is normal. They're encouraging kids to walk out for a day of climate change action. Do you think one out of ten of these kids could even explain to you what photosynthesis is? I mean, this is a scientific issue, right? This is, we're always told, listen to the scientists, listen to the scientists. Do these kids understand the issue? And more to the point, even if they have a basic understanding of it, why? You know, I had somebody yesterday during the whole Buck Bashes kids thing, which I just I'm sorry. I just think it's hilarious. And I was very disappointed in the outnumbered couch for saying that to me. And I'm glad that everybody who's watched the clip, who's not an idiot, has uh, said, yeah, Buck's right. What are they talking about? I was disappointed in their reaction. All of them. Well, Harris wasn't sitting there, but the rest of them Um, because they were wrong. And I don't understand how they, I, I guess they're just hypersensitive about it. You know, look, it's a very easy thing to be like, well, like I always defend kids. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, we all like kids. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I like kids. I like puppies. I'm a nice person. I don't like being lectured on complicated public policy issues by people who are being used as pawns by adults who have been brainwashed. I mean, it's, it should be concerning to us that there are people out there who are saying they have a visceral anxiety, a visceral anxiety from climate change. 
that means that they're they're feeling the physical, the actual physical, physiological symptoms of clinical anxiety because they think the world is going to end because manipulative, stupid adults have bought into this stuff. This is a moral panic. It's not that different from like tulip mania in the Netherlands. You know, it's just everybody gets caught up in something. Oh, yeah. Did anyone really think that, you know, one one uh, type of tulip, one species of tulip was worth more than all of the, you know, all of the, the, the gold in Arabia or, you know, whatever? I mean, no, of course not. That's crazy. People were acting like it. And that's where we are now. This is nuts. Trump derangement syndrome is real. Climate change derangement syndrome is real. Ooh, that would be the that would be the title of a good op-ed. Maybe Buck should write that this weekend. And then get all the people writing me. Oh, you're not a scientist. Uh, oh, okay, I'm not a scientist. Are the twelve year olds that you're saying are the are are the voice of the movement? Are they scientists? I wear a little lab coat. And, you know, it's like, come on, come on. They're not scientists either. And this is a public policy issue. You know, I'm also not a statistician or an accountant, but I think that $23 trillion in debt sounds like a lot. This is the the single most absurd idea that has, well, no, this is more absurd even than the Trump-Russia collusion insanity. This is, this is the craziest thing the left believes. It really is. You know, I, I don't think, for example, that any leftist in their, in their heart really if they thought about it, really thinks that a baby at, you know, eight weeks, three months and four days isn't a baby until it comes out of the womb. I mean, they're not I I would think they're not that morally and intellectually corrupted. They just pretend to think that because they're they're terrified of the policy implications once they admit that. Um, But I do think, unfortunately, there's a very substantial contingent out there of people who really believe that climate change is an existential threat to all humanity, to all life. And we'll even, well, I'll play the quotes, I'll, the quotes for you. I'll play it for you. You can hear it yourself. It's like, what, what, what is, and, and it's global too. Oh, I know people, but Buck, what about the people in France? And what about, look, people want that. I don't, I, you know, I don't do the spiritual thing here on the show very much. Most of you get that on Sunday. Some of you perhaps get it on Saturday. I'm hope maybe some of you on Friday or every day. I don't know. Whatever. Point is, uh, I, I don't do that on the show. But from a from a more poli sci background, right? That's what I that's what I studied in school. I was a politically pil- ugh, I have to speak English. Is what I have to do. I'm a political philosophy guy at heart. Um, but just a general philosophy is something I like to think about. I don't mean in the traditional Socratic method. I just like to. Try to understand why things are the way they are. I like to sit around and think a lot, which is why I love this job, because I get to share those thoughts with you every day. And I really do believe a lot of this is driven by, especially in the European context, but increasingly the American one, the separation from God and from Christianity, Judeo-Christian values from from religious Judaism and not just uh, cultural and secular Judaism. I, I think that that plays a very large role here because people are scared and lack purpose when you lack purpose you are scared because you know you're going to die so why are you here what are you here to do what are you here to accomplish well if you don't believe in god if you don't believe in the almighty i mean you can say that well you're here to be a moral person and to be productive and for some people that's enough for a lot of people it won't be 
a lot of people can't get beyond their own selfishness, their own needs. And so they, they want to believe that they're a part of some movement that is truly existential. And instead of it being existential for your soul, it's existential for humanity. This is where you get into a, an, a, the, the end of days mythology that you've had in so many different civilizations and cultures and, yes, religions, too. But in the, in the religious context, it is a function of the almighty that has been wiped away. Now it's a function of human progress. Now it's a function of CO2 in the air, which is a byproduct of processes through industrialization and modern capitalism that have brought about more comfort and health and healing and prosperity and wealth and delicious food and comfortable homes and leisure time. More of that than in all of human history before it combined. The byproduct of this now, we are made to feel guilty about. People are riddling themselves with guilt. And yes, anxiety, you heard it from that. That girl was, I think, oh no, there's one of those girls, the one who was screaming, you know. And, uh, you know, I... It's hard, but I, if, you're, if they're under 18, I will not. Once they're 18, I'm sorry. You're an adult. You're speaking about politics. You know, we get to, this is what people say. David Hogg, how dare you? He's just a child. No, the guy's in college, and he's like a national media figure. He's an adult. He can vote. He's an adult. Oh, if these teenagers are so brilliant, and we should listen to them all on climate change, shouldn't we get rid of the, oh, that's right. They want, the libs want to get rid of the voting age. Let's have 16-year-olds vote. Let's have 12-year-olds vote. Why are we discriminating against five-year-olds? I've met some very spunky five-year-olds in my day. Lots of wisdom in the five- and six-year-old group. But the same people that complain about institutions and how Trump is normalizing things that should never be normalized then turn around and trash institutions that are central to Western civilization, that trash the very progress that we have made as a society to make ourselves richer and more comfortable and happier and healthier than at any time in human history, the left has embraced this climate change philosophy where we're supposed to feel bad for that. And the only way to atone for it is to hand over more control to the government, to the state, and then they will make the determinations about what penance we must make, each and every one of us, because they know better. Climate change is at once a religion for people who are too smart for religion in their own minds and also the invitation that the left has been waiting for for the super state. And that's why they will use kids. They will shout down scientists who disagree. They will manufacture numbers. They will lie, cheat and steal all to prop up this fantasy. Well, really, it's a nightmare. The world is going to end. Bucks bashing kids again. We'll get into more of that in a moment. Stay with me. Hi, good morning, Senator. Uh, My name is Joan Miller. Uh, I am a doctoral candidate at USC. I study empathy as communication. Wow. Um, My pronouns are she, her, hers. And uh, yesterday we talked a lot about individual responsibility to change behavior like veganism, water waste, and plastic straw bans, all of which initiatives disproportionately affect uh, disabled people and poor people. 
Um, besides a carbon tax and these individual responsibilities, how can we shift the responsibility to incentivize corporations and high-waste industries to change their behavior around climate change? Wow, I'm glad that she established what her pronouns were at the start of that, as if that has anything to do with anything. This is virtue signaling as actual signaling, right? Like if I, if I walk into a room and I'm about to order a pizza and I say, hello, sir, I would like your finest, obviously gluten-free, pepperoni pizza. My pronouns are he, him. What else am I missing? He, him, and what was the other? I don't know. What, what, she, what did she say? She said her, hers. He, so I would be he, his. What am I missing? He, his, him. Him. Thank yes. you. Well, apparently, I don't know my pronouns that well. <laughs> well, maybe I'm a little confused. Just go by it, Buck. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to leave it out there. I still love the New York Times, all the hand-wringing over. We know we want to make sure that everyone feels included, but we kind of feel weird about using a plural pronoun for a singular individual because that's not accurate. Because <laughs> people like me like to do they. But yeah, no, that's right. Buck Saxon, my pronouns are he, him, and according to producer, producer uh, Mark, it. Uh, but yeah, no, she's saying that this this will fall disproportionately on the poor. You know what's what's interesting is that she's correct. This is that is true that all this climate change stuff is going to hurt poor people more than anyone else because the cheapest and most effective way of transporting goods, of heating homes, of cooling homes, of giving you all the benefits of this modern world we live in, th- those involve not driving a Tesla and having solar panels on your roof for the most part. I know someone's going to send me an email. Buck, I have solar panels and they're great. All right, man. But, you know, it does. It's not going to work for, for all the rest of the of the developing world. I hate to break it to you. We're not we're not about to have, you know, endless solar panels installed in the roofs of every home in, in, in Bangladesh and, you know, Botswana and Thailand and, you know, you name it. It's just not going to happen. <sighs> I don't know. I, I get uh, I go back and forth. I also feel like maybe conservatives are just better at tuning this out. Because the left gets so enraged and so ah, about this issue. They, they go Howard Dean ah, on climate change. See, can I make fun of Howard Dean? Oh, my gosh. Buck is Howard Dean bashing. Why is he Howard Dean bashing? Because Howard Dean's not a kid. So there's that. I was one of the gun owning Americans that heard your speech and heard what you had to say um, regarding hell. Yes, we're going to take your AR. 15s and your AR. Let, your let's, let's be respectful. Let's 47. be respectful. Well, I am here to say hell no. Totally you're not. Respectful. Um, totally. So with so that, um, I would like to know how you intend to legislate evil, to legislate the hearts of men and leave American citizens like myself, American mothers. I have four children. I'm five foot zero, 100 pounds. Cannot really defend myself with a fist. I just I just want to jump. I just want to jump in on behalf of Beto for a moment. Because, like, you know, this woman owns an AR-15, so clearly she must be insane because she owns a gun and believes in the Second Amendment, so we know she's crazy. But, like, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be super, like, chill about this and just walk. Okay, now now you can hear from real Beto. It's okay. Let's let, Please, let's allow her to finish. I don't have my AR-15 today. I have my Glock. Look at that. He went on to say, uh, 
some stuff about how he's basically, you know, why can't this is where the libs take these things. You know, why can't you if you can have an AR-15, why can't you have a, a Stinger missile and a tank? And, you know, this is where I, I just wish that people could have like a little a little mini version of me on their shoulder when they need me or something. Maybe that sounds a little creepy. <laughs> we're we're going to manufacture tiny bucks. It would be a bobblehead doll, which would just look like a small version of the real buck, a giant head. Um, but the, yes, I'm self-aware. I know the head is enormous, but the, uh, the, the truth here is that when, when he poses that question to her, uh, the answer is that because second amendment jurisprudence deals with weapons in common usage, right? That's the understanding. Even at the time of the American founding and when there was the adoption of the first 10 amendments, to the constitution, it would not have been, not have been considered acceptable to have a, you know, to, to be building, I don't know, if you walked around the streets, let's say, with a headsman's axe. I mean, this is what Scalia wrote in D.C. v. Heller. You know, you, you couldn't necessarily be a private citizen who was running his own, uh, you know, well, I know you're going to say, Buck, people did build their own cannon foundries. But there were some limitations on weapons you can have. Um, and then, then that was understood. But weapons in common usage were understood to be, because remember, it's not, and this is also then a, an extension of the debate. They say, well, the military has nukes. And the military has, you know, B-1 bombers and B-2 bombers and, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And to that we say, right, we also have that and we're trying to pacify Afghanistan. And how's that going? Right. It's, and I mean, you, can you imagine? I mean, one thing, think about this, and this is why the movie people uh, often go to is Red Dawn here. A foreign government trying to control America, let's say against our will, it would just be unthinkable. I mean, the, the casualties that they would have merely from armed citizens. For, for Let's just say, theoretically, our military, which, I mean, this obviously wouldn't happen, but just for the purposes of discussion, our military was like, you know what? We're just going to, we're not going to fight because this foreign, this foreign invasion invasion is too powerful and it'll be mass casualties for us if we do it. Um, so, or you know, let, let's say that they knock down our power grid and they say, we're going to hit you with nukes unless you stand down. So our military stands down. I know this is a crazy theory, but could you imagine, you know, the North Korean invasion, let's just say North Korea is that I won't get in, in trouble. That's like in uh, red dawn, right? The new red dawn that's North Korea. They're going to try to have their soldiers walk the streets, walk. The, never mind the streets. A lot of people live in the redder, more rural parts of the country. Listen to the show are like, Buck, let me tell you, in my, in, my, in my area, my neck of the woods, these North Korean invaders would not get very far. And I'm sure that is true. And you all will probably start sending me now the famous quote from, was it Admiral Yamamoto, I believe, saying that you could never, this is World War II Japan. And I, I think the quote may be apocryphal, but it is always attributed to the uh, Japanese admiral that you could never invade the American uh, mainland because there would be a rifle behind every blade of grass. Even if it's apocryphal, it's a great quote because it's true. Because it's true. And that's why we have the Second Amendment that we do, and that's why it exists. But, you know, Beto is still trying to... Oh, wait, this was great, though, today. I, I was like, why am I thinking about guns and Beto today? Well, yeah, because also, I just like, no, let her finish. I'm like super chill about listening to opposing points of view. Um, but guess who decided after he had what was clearly the worst week, the worst week of his political career? What is the go to move for libs? I'm pretty sure, for example, uh, 
was it, I don't know if it was Harvey Weinstein, one of the, one of the guys who got caught, I can't remember the top of my head, one of the guys who got caught up in the Me Too and was guilty, right? Not a Kavanaugh situation, an actual Me Too guy who was a gross, grabby assaulter, um, did something where he's like, I'm going to, I think it was Harvey Weinstein. I think it was Harvey Weinstein where he said, you know, now I'm going to just dedicate my time and effort to, to being a better person and attacking the NRA. It was just like, yeah, if I go after the NRA, they'll forget about all the women that I sexually abused and took advantage of and, you know, and perhaps even uh, sexually assaulted. And I think that's still, I mean, has he been found guilty yet, John? Or is he facing charges? Harvey Weinstein? He's facing charges, right? He hasn't yet gone to trial. Just charges, yeah. Just charges, right, right. Um, but he did the whole like, oh, I'm going to go after the NRA thing. That's like, oh, well, that will that will wipe the slate clean. You go after the NRA, you you know. I am so sorry about being a serial killer the last 20 years, but I'm now a super woke lib and I'm going to go after the NRA. So let's like let bygones be bygones. Justin Trudeau, who is a very, um, I know, I want him to be more French than he is. I can't let this go. He just strikes me like you look at him, you're like, his name could be Pierre. And uh, he promises that he is just friends with your wife and only wants to... uh, have chats with her about work purposes after uh, working hours. And he smokes the galois. And I know he doesn't sound like, he sounds like me. He doesn't sound like that at all. I mean, my voice is obviously way better than Trudeau's, but anyway, he, uh, he, he pulled the ultimate lib. I'm quartered maneuver. Instead of just accepting that he's getting crushed, rightly so for his uh, multiple instances of blackface, uh, coming up in photos. He's not even sure there could be another one. Justin Trudeau today has announced that he wants to ban assault rifles. <laughs> this is the ultimate desperation move. It's like when you are just, when you are caught, man, I mean, you can just see this now. If you, if they've got you and you're in a room with a mound of cocaine, a dead hooker, and a bag of cash that some union guy gave you to throw a contract their way, and you're a politician, you know what you do if you're a liberal? I uh, I just wanna I just wanna ban guns and assault rifles and stop and stop all the violence because I hate the NRA. <laughs> oh, I don't think this is gonna work the way he thinks it will, but I do I do I gotta appreciate the hustle here. I gotta appreciate the effort from Trudeau. What a shameless, lib, hypocritical, phony. But Buck, I am uh, so smooth and suave, perhaps I will pull it off. Perhaps he will. We've got more on the whistleblower thing. Stay with me. The urgency of this moment cannot be overstated. Um, Climate change threatens every living thing on this planet. And we are literally running out of time for change. And yet, I have to say, at this moment, I'm deeply hopeful. And I'm hopeful in part, you may have heard, I do selfie lines. (laughs) I'm hopeful in part because of the number of people who come through and we shake hands and we do pictures and we do hugs, but who talk about how committed they are. I think I'm going to be here, and it's going to be hot. That mean, well, yeah, and it means I will be, for one thing, held accountable. Uh, I think my generation will be held accountable because it will be on our watch right. that this thing played out. I actually think this is one of those moments that um, 
like many moments in American history, really pivotal ones, like uh, maybe the American Revolution itself, the, uh, the, the struggle for civil rights. Oh, yeah, that's right. Think of a way that you could exaggerate the threat of climate change, and I will give you a prominent liberal in politics, in media, who vastly exceeds your exaggeration. It threatens every living thing. Not even every every human being, my friends. Every living thing on planet Earth. I mean, I, I, if we're, if we're going to get technical, you know, I think the, the bugs, I think the bacteria, I think they'll be just fine. With a one, with a one degree Celsius raise in global temperature on average over the next 50 years. Maybe 1.5. Oh my gosh. It's hard to overstate the insanity here. These are people who think that they are, they are well-educated, they are wise, they are thoughtful, they're rational, they're reasonable, and their positions on this are none of those things. None of them. Absolutely none of them. So what do we do? We sit here and we're talking to people who are on a very important public policy issue, essentially deranged. A threat to every living thing on Earth. And we have to also understand how concerning this is, because if they if they believe what they say, then there's nothing and I mean nothing that they cannot justify in their minds. Right. If they believe what they say. If they don't believe what they are saying, Elizabeth Warren, Buttigieg. Then they will lie to any extent. They will engage in a in a mendacity that is just mind blowing. And not mind that they are brainwashing children, that they're taking public policy focus and dollars off of far more important issues, real issues where people are dying, where people are suffering, where there could be government assistance in one way or another or just all of us assisting in one way or another instead we spend all of our time talking about this non non-issue it is a non-issue climate change is real yes comma it doesn't matter it's not important enough it doesn't mean anything and we can't do anything about it why do they think i'm so confident in this because Big oil has paid me off. So they think that I'm brainwashed because I don't think the world's going to end in 10 years. They are saying this. They are saying things like the world's going to end in tears. They, you know, they don't want to. Huh. I, it's just. How can they expect me to take them seriously on a whole lot of other things, too? That they've been so swindled on this is is deeply concerning to me. But as you know, I mean, today, the main thing was they've got kids running around. If they were if they had science on their side, they wouldn't be deploying these tactics of desperation and using children as policy. Human shields is a despicable tactic. It's gross. It's wrong. And they should know that. But liberals don't really have ethics. They just have a lust for power that can override any sense of decency. That's really the truth. At least when it comes to public policy discussions, maybe in person they're really nice. But, I mean, if you think that sending kids out there to lecture everybody else on climate change 
is an ethical and normal thing to do. I got a very different point of view on that. Buck's bashing kids again. Stop bashing kids, Buck. I'm not bashing kids. Kids don't know anything. I mean, that's that's not bad. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. I was running around. I was 15. I was like, hey, girls are pretty. I want to play sports. I'm going to drink some more chocolate milk. You know, like, that was 16-year-old Buck. I'm going to read a Tom Clancy book. Maybe one day I'll be like a cool CIA ninja. You know? I did get into the CIA, but definitely was not a ninja. Uh, so, you know, that's I'm just saying. I mean, kids don't know stuff. All right. Now, you know who else doesn't know stuff? Democrats. <laughs> Transition. Boom. Made that one happen. Oh, the whistleblower. I'm going to tell you a little secret, producer Mark. I can't whistle. And I hate whistling. And it's not because I can't do it. I'm not bitter because I can't do it, but I do hate it. Yeah. I can whistle. No, you don't have to right now. Don't make me, don't make me throw something at the glass. You know what will happen. Oh, stop it. Right now, people across the country are switching the channel to somebody who's like, I'm going to tell you how to make more money. That guy sucks. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. This is like somebody's like, I've got the secret for you being healthy. Work out more, eat less. It's like, wow, I should pay you. I should pay you a lot for that. That's really helpful. It's like, I got an idea. Pay off your debts and don't spend too much money. Whoa. I should be a bajillionaire. I should be. You should teach his classes for free. I probably should. But I digress. Uh, so where were we? Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> I could see producer John was like, oh, snap. He was, eh, whatever. Uh, the truth hurts. Don't spend too much money. Use cash. Get out of debt. Whoa, wow. I thought it's like, what would I look like if I spent three hours at just buck? Just spend three hours a day in the gym. Stop whining about how you you know want to get you know, healthier. Oh, there we go. That's the answer. Just do the just do the things. And then it'll all happen. Anyway, it's fine. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. Whistleblowers. Whistleblowers. So we have, uh, where were we here? We've got a couple of whistleblowers. Um, oh, Cory Booker. He's, uh, he's saying that this should take Trump down. What do you make of what you're hearing about potential contacts with the Ukraine from Trump allies or even this whistleblower call about a call with a foreign leader? I, I, I don't like overly dramatic statements, uh, um, but this is the most corrupt administration of my lifetime. A whistleblower from the intelligence community. Can we just stop for a second and say the guy who stood up in the U.S. Senate and said, I am Spartacus <laughs> is telling you that he doesn't like Overly dramatic statements. What he's accused the president of is stunning. This should be crippling Washington right now with the implications of what this whistle. Oh, another. Oh, Trump's gone too far this time. This time he's gone too far. Now it's all. Oh, I mean, guys. You know, how many times does Lucy get to pull the football away before it's on us? You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. No, no, I'm sorry. This is not this is not going to take down the administration. This isn't worse than Watergate. This isn't, you know, the, the you know, the, the clock is ticking on Trump. And this I mean, all this stuff they've said it so many times are always wrong. Always. We'll get into more of this in a second. 
I don't know the identity of the whistleblower. I just hear it's a partisan person, meaning it comes out from another party. Uh, but I don't have uh, any idea. But I can say that it was a totally appropriate conversation. It was actually a beautiful conversation. And this is no different than, you know, the press has had a very bad week with Justice Kavanaugh and all of those ridiculous charges and all of the mistakes made at the New York Times and other places. You've had a very bad week, and this will be better than all of them. This is another one. So keep, so keep, so keep playing it up because you're going to look really bad when it falls. You know, I guess I'm about, I guess I'm about 22 and 0, and I'll keep it that way. President's right about this whistleblower nonsense. It's going nowhere. This is nothing. I mean, first of all, that when you have Adam Schiff as your spokesperson for anything, I mean, I, I would listen to Adam Schiff if he was the spokesperson for the cure for cancer because you know that it was not true. It was not real. It was, you know, snake oil that he was selling. You can't trust Adam Schiff. Guy's running around, oh, yes, we think this is uh, this, this uh, House committee and our democracy and the sanctity. Oh, guy's the worst. Guy is the worst. This also raises some interesting questions. Whistleblower, huh? On a call with the president. Do we think the president was in the room? With somebody who happened to overhear this? Or do we think that this was, as President said, a heavily populated call, meaning that there were people who were picking up this call uh, on our side and on their side? If it's an open phone line call, folks, this is not hard to do. I mean, plenty of plenty of countries have the capability to do this. And the assumption whenever the president's if the president is on an open line call with a foreign head of state or even if he's on a a hard line call because the other side could obviously record it and other third parties might try to record it. Assumption is going to be that. That people are going to hear this and the president knows that it's it's very close to being a. A call out in the open, it might it might as well be a conversation in public, which is what the president is saying all along. He's like, this was a heavily, heavily populated call, but. This whistleblower, huh? Would this be somebody, let's say, inside the intelligence community who had access to classified and decided that they were going to go forward with a whistleblower complaint? Is that what happened here? It's just interesting to me because we'll, re- we'll remember that we still haven't found out who was the deep state actor in the federal government who went forward with uh, going after General Flynn by leaking a conversation between the incoming national security advisor and uh, and Russian ambassador Sergei Kizilyak. I mean, that was a felony. We still don't know who did it. Still haven't figured out who was behind that one. And it looks like they're trying this once again. Now, they're not leaking. They're going through. Somebody realized, I don't want to be possibly in criminal jeopardy here. I don't believe it is a conversation that happened with somebody in the room who heard President Trump, because that would only be a very senior person who Trump had appointed. And I doubt that that person would be willing to risk his or her job by being the whistleblower. This is somebody in the federal bureaucracy, some hashtag resistance, hysterical lib who's like, Trump is threatening our democracy. Oh, my gosh. Coming forward to make a complaint. And as I said last night, I was on Shannon Bream's show with uh, with uh, John Yu, who was the, um, I forget, the deputy assistant uh, attorney general or something like that, or, or he's an assistant attorney general, I think, under the Bush administration, 
uh, who wrote what are known as the the torture memos, right? He was talking about enhanced interrogation at the time. Uh, we were on this, and we both came to the same conclusion without knowing too much about the details of the complaint. It's not even realistic that there's anything that could be considered illicit and worthy of a whistleblower complaint here. If the president tells the governor of Ukraine, I would like you to do the following, unless he's saying, I'm going to, uh, you know, give me a bag of cash and I'm going to sell you a bunch of American nuclear missiles or something, which we all know he didn't do that. What is this complaint about? It's not hard for the president to come up with a, a way, with a justification to say that he, um, you know, that he wants corruption in Ukraine to be rooted out. He's well within his rights to say that. I'll get into more of this in a second. But he, here's how the president has been uh, handling the media who are trying so hard to shift. Remember, they're shifting right now from the Kavanaugh redux, which is what they wanted. They wanted to get back into Kavanaugh, restart the Kavanaugh debate. Oh, whoop, they got slapped down on that. Media's lo- they lost this week, my friend. They took heavy narrative casualties this week in the media. I mean, they got they got just crushed on Kavanaugh. New York Times looks like a buffoon club. But now they got to switch to something else. And this whistleblower is a story. They got to keep the pressure on Trump. Got to st- the libs want to stay on offense. And that's where this whistleblower story comes in. But this is how Trump is handling them. No, I haven't. It's uh, it's I, I just tell you, it is everybody's read it. They laugh at it. And it's another uh, it's another media disaster. The media has lost so much credibility in this country. Our media has become the laughingstock of the world. When you look at what they did to Justice Kavanaugh and so many other things last week, I think this is one of the worst weeks in the history of the fake news media. You have been wrong on so many things. And this one will be, I wouldn't say it will top the list because I think you can't do worse than some of the stories you missed over the last week or two. But the media of of our country is laughed at all over the world now. You're a joke. Okay, what else? <laughs> Look, I think he's he's well within his rights. You have the most famous newspaper in the country putting two of its reporters out there to try and defend the indefensible with their with their Kavanaugh book, where what they found out was that really they tried to take down Kavanaugh, but the the truth is so in Kavanaugh's favor that guess what? They helped Kavanaugh. They were trying to uh, to hurt his his uh, case and credibility. But, you know, ultimately, this is all about their desperation to create the asterisk next to Kavanaugh's name and to delegitimize at some level the Supreme Court. And by delegitimizing the Supreme Court, what they do in their minds, this is what the left I'm telling you right now what the plot is. They want to make the Supreme Court seem like it has been polluted by the elevation of Kavanaugh, by the elevation of Justice Thomas, you know, these other conservative members. Oh, it's so terrible. So that if they win a presidency coming up here, they can restructure and perhaps reform the court. I do not think that the left is above court packing. I do not think the left is above. I don't think they're above anything, really. I don't think they're above impeaching Kavanaugh, even though the evidence proves his innocence. It's not that the evidence doesn't look great for him, but I still think he's probably not guilty. 
Based on everything we have seen, a rational person knows Kavanaugh's not guilty, but the media won't stop. And that's why Trump calling them out like this is a beautiful thing. Did you ask the Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden? No, actually, I didn't. I asked the Ukraine to investigate the allegations that there was interference in the election of 2016 by the Ukrainians for the benefit of Hillary Clinton, for which there already is a court finding. You never asked anything about Hunter Biden. You never asked anything about Joe Biden. The only thing I asked about Joe Biden is to get to the bottom of how it was that Lutsenko, who was appointed, dismissed the case against Antac. So you did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. You just said you didn't. No, I didn't ask him to look into Joe Biden. I asked him to look into the allegations that related to my client, which tangentially involved Joe Biden in a massive bribery scheme. Bro Cuomo's like getting the answers that America deserves here. He's like, yo, did you even work your traps today and your lats? Swole club. Whoa, what's up? Bro Cuomo doesn't seem to understand the distinction that Giuliani is trying to make here, which is that he is saying, Giuliani is saying, that he was telling the Ukrainian government to look into corruption that he believes occurred in the country of Ukraine. And that corruption may, in fact, involve, assuming that the allegations are true, a member of the Biden family. That is not the same thing as saying, go investigate Hunter Biden because he's Joe Biden's son and we're trying to get him. Giuliani is trying to make a a distinction here between a legitimate uh, a legitimate line of inquiry for certainly the Ukrainian government, and as an ally of the Ukrainian government, we always want them to root out corruption, right? We want, we want, we have the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. We, we want less corruption all over the world. Well, guess what? If one of the Bidens was involved in lining his pockets, and there's very real reason to believe that is the case, that is certainly the allegation that is out there right now, why can't we look into that? You know, we're, we're really going to go through this now where libs are going to act like, the Obama administration, and Obama himself, by the way, he knew about some of this. We just don't know how much. That Obama was able to use the FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, the who knows what, to try and not just get dirt on President Trump, but to destroy his campaign, stop him from being president, and send him to prison, let's be honest. That is what Obama did. That is what the Obama administration on behalf of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now, they could say, oh, no, we we thought this is where this is where the evidence was taking us. Really? They thought that Papadopoulos and Carter Page were part of an international conspiracy to work with the Russians to change the outcome of an election. So they're telling us that they're a bunch of hysterical morons. That's that's their excuse, because that's what that sounds like to me. But notice how narrative creation is so important to the left here, that they control the narrative. Why is it illegitimate for Rudy Giuliani on behalf of the White House or in any capacity as a private citizen working for the United States government to tell the Ukrainian government, we think you need to look into what happened here? Hillary Clinton's campaign paid a foreigner, Christopher Steele, to speak to a bunch of Russian subsources, I believe we're all in you mostly are all in Ukraine, from what I recall, to get dirt on Donald Trump to beat him in the presidential election and maybe throw him in prison. 
So Hillary's campaign is allowed to pay someone to go work with foreigners to destroy Trump while she's running against him. And the Obama administration gives her an assist by taking the information that Hillary's campaign gathered together and then using that as the almost sole basis, the dossier, for the weaponization of the federal government's national security apparatus against Trump. And now we're supposed to get the we're supposed to get the vapors. We're supposed to to shudder at the thought of President Trump's administration telling the Ukrainians, hey, could you just could you look into what really happened here? Could you tell us if this was really what went down? Because that's a big problem. Just to review, the allegation is that Hunter Biden, who is a uh, a very troubled person, I don't think anybody would dispute that, that Hunter Biden was on the board of a Ukrainian company where there was a lot of corruption and Hunter Biden was getting uh, getting a, a lot of money. The kind of money where you think, is he getting paid this money because he is uh, so useful or because he's the president's son? I will let the non the non idiots of the world decide this one. I think we all know. No one thinks that Hunter Biden is some great international deal maker. OK, Hunter Biden's value is he is Joe Biden's son. He has no value in the international arbitrage game. He's not bringing huge deals together. If he's not Biden's son, he's the vice president's son. He's doing deals in China. He's doing deals in Ukraine, places of maximum foreign policy interest for the United States. Remember, Ukraine had the uh, the insurgency in the east and we were fighting with, you know, arguing with Russia over this. And I mean, there's all, Ukraine was very much at the center of a lot of major Obama administration foreign policy squabbles, which, by the way, the Obama administration did a terrible job of handling but, you know, NBD. And now here we are. Now here we are looking at the possibility of a complaint, a complaint being lodged by our administration saying, hey, hold on a second. Was one of our guys doing something bad, leveraging his familial connection to the vice president? to change U.S. foreign policy in some way for his own benefit? Because that's a big problem, right? If if you notice how the libs skip right past, what if the accusation against Hunter Biden is true? Ah, but you see, they don't want to ask that question because you know what you'd find out very quickly? They don't care. It doesn't matter if it's true. He's Hunter Biden. And guess what? Daddy is top of the Democrat pack in the presidential race for the Democrats. It doesn't matter what Joe Biden, uh, what Joe Biden's son did. They will protect him. They will circle the wagons. The only change you will see in this will be if Biden falls out of that frontrunner spot. Oh, then the New York Times will have some big, oh, you know, it turns out that maybe Joe Biden's son was doing some, you know, and they'll be like, look at us. We're so we're so brave and honest. We're the good journos. We do the work that needs to be done. You know, all this patting themselves on the back crap they love to do. You know, they gave themselves awards. Yeah, I think the New York Times and the CNN, they got awards for their Russia collusion coverage. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. 
should get an award for being crazy. But notice how the way this has been set up, the entire whistleblower mess, the way they've been setting this up is, oh, my gosh, President Trump is, is there's a complaint against him. Okay, well, what if he said, I want you to open this case against, uh, or sorry, I should say open this investigation against, President Trump has no authority in Ukraine. All he can do is conduct foreign policy the way he wants to. But if President Trump decides that the Ukrainian government needs to find out if there was corrupt uh, corruption going on there, guess what? That That's well within his right. He can He can tell the Ukrainians that he thinks it would be a good idea for them to get to the bottom of this and that would help it would help the relationship with the United States that there would be an ancillary that there would be a, a secondary political benefit for Trump does not make it illegal it's bare knuckle politics don't get me wrong it's not something that isn't clearly tied into politics but just because there's a political uh connection it, it doesn't mean that he's out out of line and this is what the libs don't. That's why the libs are freaking out about this. They're trying to create this notion in people's minds. Yeah, no, we can't do this. You can't do this. Why? Even if what the whistleblower says is true, what's the what exactly is the problem here? The people that thought that using foreigners to dig up information about candidate Trump and then using Obama appointees in the federal government and deep state leave behinds the federal government to try to take down Trump through not just the initial FBI investigation, but then a special counsel on top of that. Oh, oh, they want to complain about about bare knuckle politics and fair play now. I don't think so. Not on my watch. Not this time. It's a good thing you listen to this show, though, because what we do here is annihilate the libs. BS narratives. We'll be right back. I've met Candace Owens a couple of times. Uh, interviewed her once or twice. Uh, she's a, a very sharp young woman, and I I think that she's had uh, a lot of very excellent moments on different shows, and including my show, The Hill, uh, The uh, Rising, where. Crystal and Candace had a very, if you have not seen it, you might, that's one that's in the archives that's worth pulling up on YouTube. You might, they, uh, I, I was there with, Charlie Kirk was there too, I'll never forget. Charlie and I were looking at each other like, oh man, this is heating up. We're like, up. Oh, we're not in this one, you know? It's like when you watch two people and they want to, they're like, you want to step outside? And you're like, uh-oh, I guess they're going to step outside. Like, this isn't, anyway, it was quite a, quite a scene. Back on the rising, that was man, that was like eighteen months ago now. But uh, Candace is, yeah, she's she's fierce. And by the way, she invited me to do her show in D.C. last week, and I was very sad. I, obviously, I'm, I'm not in D.C. anymore. Otherwise, I would have done it, uh, but I couldn't do it because I'm not there. But hopefully, we'll get. I, I'm going to try to coordinate to join her at some point when I'm out in um, in California. So anyway, Candace today was in a hearing before the House uh, Oversight Joint Subcommittee. And they were talking about uh, white nationalism. That was, the, that was part of the topic. Sorry, the House is having a hearing on white supremacy and the Republican. This is from one of the most disgusting little uh, turds 
and all of the internet who works for uh, Media Matters, so I won't even get into it right now. I'm not sure which is worse these days. Media Matters, the Daily Beast, but they're, they're all terrible. Um, but anyway, the House was having this subcommittee meeting, and, uh, and sure enough, there was a moment where Candace Owens decided, you know, I'm just going to let it rip. I'm sick of the nonsense. It's Friday. I want you to sit back and enjoy Candace Owens wrecking some libs in Congress. Hit it. I said, it's hilarious that we are sitting in this room today and I've got two doctors and a missus and nobody can give us real numbers that we can respond to so we can assess how big of a threat this is. Because you know that it is not as big of a threat as you are trying to make it out to be so that you can manipulate. And the audacity of you to bring up the Christchurch shooting manifesto and make it seem as if I laughed at people that were slaughtered by a homicidal maniac, maniac is, in my opinion, absolutely despicable. And I think that we should be above that. To try to assign reality or any meaning to a homicidal maniac writing a manifesto, which, by the way, let the record show, also stated Spyro the Dragon, the child's cartoon, as a source of inspiration. He also cited Nelson Mandela as a source of information. I don't think, I don't think that Nelson Mandela has inspired mosque shootings. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong. You, are, you would rather assign meaning to a homicidal maniac than to actually address what I said to, the things that I said today that are actually harming black America. Number one, father absence. Number two, the education system and the illiteracy rate. Illegal immigration ranks high, abortion ranks high, white supremacy and white nationalism, if I had to make a list again of 100 things, would not be on it. This hearing, in my opinion, is a farce. And it is ironic that you're sitting here and you're having three Caucasian people testify and tell you what their expertise are. Do I know what my expertise are? Black in America. I've been black in America my whole life, all 30 years. And I can tell you that you guys have done the exact same thing every four years ahead of an election cycle, and it needs to stop. Yes. Sweep the leg. No mercy. That's right. She swept the leg. Told Congress that, uh, the Democrats in Congress, that she's just sick of the nonsense. I mean, I, I was, it's just, you know, when you, when you hear someone and obviously, Candace is in a, a place, in a role, speaking from a perspective as a young African-American woman uh, that she she can say this and not. I mean, they're still going to shout her down and do everything else. But, you know, she, she can say this without them trying to destroy her career or anything else. She can speak about what plagues the black community in America these days uh, from a from a first person perspective. And when you hear someone speaking the truth about about issues like this, uh, you just go, finally, finally, you know, there are problems in this country. You know, you, like the opioid epidemic is not entirely, but primarily a major uh, problem of mortality and destruction of families. And and there's a whole lot of psychological analysis that should be done behind why at this point in time, as well as biochemical analysis about the very drugs themselves. But that that hurts the white community. You know, there are different uh, there, there are different uh, problems that are more common. I mean, all communities have problems that are common to each other at some level. We all struggle with uh, with with, pro- with poverty, with crime, with you know, l- lack of day to day purpose, with lack of spiritual connection to the almighty, you know, wh- whatever. Right. We all have problems. But when she's what she's addressing here is the fixation that liberals have and they've created and they've done it for the most obvious political purposes. They've done it to 
create a narrative that is damaging to Trump, right? Trump is a white supremacist president. White nationalism is, is resurgent under Trump. All oh, the white nationalism. We always hear about Charlottesville. But Charlottesville was a couple of hundred losers in a country of 320 million people. And by the way, after that Charlottesville rally, which Trump did say that they were losers, the media lied about what Trump said about them. And I will I just just like with the Greta Thunberg thing where people say that I'm kid bashing, which is a stupid thing to say. And I did not kid bash. Full stop. Bring it on. Uh, I've read the transcript dozens of times. It is obvious to anybody who cares to know the truth that Trump said that he was not referring to good people or to the white nationalists as good people in, in Charlottesville. But if this was a bigger problem, folks, wouldn't there be more than one rally two years ago that they'd be citing? Oh, now we're going to hear about that. They're, they're going to talk about the Christchurch shooting in New Zealand. Uh, OK, that's in New Zealand. Now, if we're going to talk about white nationalism as a problem in a world of seven going on eight billion people, one homicidal maniac in New Zealand should not dictate American political discourse or policy. With his heinous actions. And what Candace is saying here is that this. This uh, cynical politics from the left of pretending that the real problem, the, the greatest problem faced by the black community in this country is white nationalism and white supremacy. It avoids more useful public policy discussions and just discourse in general around problems that are still very sensitive, very hot button issue to talk about, but you know, the fatherlessness rate, as she brings up in the black community, is that is that an issue that that is to be discussed or not? And the statistics are that I believe 70 percent of African-American children right now, seven out of 10 are born out of wedlock. Now, that's not the same as fatherlessness, but you can imagine the fatherlessness level is also uh, stunningly high. Is that a conversation? But but Candace can bring this up. Can any, can anyone else talk about why this is happening in urban areas across the country? And the or, or how about we just take race out of it entirely and discuss what does fatherlessness look at the social research, the social science on this stretching back for decades? What does fatherlessness mean for a child? What does by the numbers, by the statistics, and it will tell you more likely to drop out of high school, more likely to be a substance abuser, more likely to go to prison, more likely to be engaged in violent crime. Now, more likely is not the same thing by any stretch as determinative of like, oh, because you know I didn't have a father. We had the most recent president before this one grew up without a father. Right. So it, it's not to say. And that's you know, this is why liberals love to just try to find a way to twist words to avoid conversations that would be helpful to any community. But in particular, they do this with the black community. And it was just it was just a breath of fresh air to have Candace step up and just hit one out of the park in Congress today. That's exactly what she did. So props and a high five to her. I understand why people are. are look, I understand why people are Candace fans. And I know some of you listen to this. You know, you, you have your 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 favorites here and there in the conservative movement. But I mean, other than me, obviously. Um, but I thought Candace did a very, very good job today. And of course, the libs are now all trying to bash her for it. Oh, look at 
it's downplaying white nationalism. Oh, because, you know, and they, they lied about what in the hearing they lied about what she said in the hearing. One of the other witnesses said you were laughing about this. If what conservatives say, whether it's me or you or Trump or Candace Owens, if what we say is so bad, why do they have to keep lying about what we say? Use Occam's razor like a chainsaw on that one. I thought there was a a chance after not getting into September, I still thought there was a chance to get into October. We saw that with Steve Bullock, didn't get into June, did get into July. You know, it's obviously possible. But as we went over the last few weeks, every day that passed, it, it got tougher if there wasn't more progress. We were watching the polling to see if anything was moving and it just wasn't moving so in the end you know you got to make decisions based on the facts and sometimes it's just not your time and that's okay oh no bill de blasio has dropped out of the presidential race our own our own new york city mayor this is so sad for point zero 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 one percent of the electorate it's just so sad are you are you gonna are you gonna pour some out this weekend for for your main man de blasio producer mark of course i am i'm so saddened right now yeah. you should just just pour out like some kind of soy matcha latte drink maybe some you, dirt that, that you only drink with one of those stupid paper straws have you used these paper straws? They they disintegrate. Disgusting. It's disgusting. It's, it's awful. It's like what what are we all of a sudden? Are we're barbarians? We got to drink with this like sludge, this uh, this mush straw. I'd rather just not use the straw. Ugh, I'd rather not use the straw too. But here we are. By the way, you know, I saw something. The Washington Examiner put this out. Can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but uh, effectively, the United States is responsible for. Less than 1% of the plastic that's in the oceans globally. And straws are responsible for, of all global plastic, I think it was 0.0004% of all the plastic in the oceans. So we're responsible for less than 1%. And overall, straws are 0.0004%. So you don't have to do the exact math on that to know. This is a stupid waste of everybody's time. And maybe people should stop being a bunch of nincompoops and let us use straws. What do you think? But I like your choice of word. Guy. That's right. I, I like the nincompoops thing. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was good. Yeah, I got I got old timey words here. You see, I'm a gray be- I'm a gray beard millennial. Unlike you whippersnappers from Generation Z over here. Oh, like Zorro, Big Z. We're so cool. Yeah, we know what's up. Yeah, he's silent now. I'm not Gen God, Z. I'm he- a millennial. Are you a millennial? Yeah. No, but you're, when does Gen Z start? After me, I think uh, like 98 or so. Ugh. Are we going to let him in, John? I don't know. We got to we gotta hold the millennial hearing. The gray beards of the millennial movement. We I need don't to think John's a millennial. Damn it. What I are think you? you and I are the millennials. Oh. I'm Generation X. Ah, oh, you're Gen X. You're one of those. Yeah, I got the cool you're, sound. You're, you're from Beto's generation? So you were like drinking Zima and listening to Nirvana and Stone Temple Pilots. Actually, I kind of like STP, but... What is Zima? Wow. What is Zima? This is... We also used to have this thing, producer Mark, called a Walkman. I, I used one. 
Yeah, right. Or a CD player. In, I used a CD player. Yeah, exactly. You saw a Walkman in a museum. I did. Yeah, that's what I thought. You had to knock the dust off it to get it to work. Um, I mean, I, I, I want to make fun of, of de Blasio a little bit more here. It's clearly not his time. He dropped out of the race. And uh, here he was on, on Morning Joe with his, does he say, is that his line now? It's clearly not my time. I've contributed all I can to this primary election, and uh, it's clearly not my time. So I'm going to end my presidential campaign, hmm. uh, continue my work as mayor of New York City, and I'm going to keep speaking up for working people and for a Democratic Party that stands for working people. And I'll, I'll just say this. I talked to a lot of folks, including a lot of labor union members, who really don't feel the Democratic Party has their back right now. And that's a lot of the story of 2016, I think. Uh, Democrats not being clear, strong for working people. A lot of working people stayed home. Some of them even drifted away. You know what doesn't help unions? Illegal immigration. Doesn't help union guys. And now what they'll do, and uh, there's a professor, Borjas, at Harvard who has done the most thorough research on this because you always hear people say oh but it doesn't depress wages look at the look at the wages nationwide and this is a bit like saying well you know the weather in the united states was fine yesterday well actually no there was a tornado in kansas so it was fine in the united states i guess except for the tornado in kansas there if you look at it at a more localized level illegal immigration when there's a surge of illegal immigration into an area it does depress wages in that area at a state and county level for people in uh, uh, trades like carpentry and general contractor and, and people that are, are involved in some of the uh, professions where illegal, illegal immigrants sometimes end up doing the jobs. Right? That's, it does happen that there's a, there's a depressing of the wages as a result. So you won't hear them really ever get into that. You won't hear them talk about it, but it is true. So the Democrats do have some contradictory positions. And so in a sense, I hate to say this. I hate to say it, but de Blasio does have a point where the Democratic Party has still taken the white working class for granted and hasn't learned the lessons of 2017. But you know what the bad news is, Producer John? Now de Blasio's coming back to focus all of his laziness and ineptitude on destroying New York City, which is really sad, you know? Which means everything will stay the same. You know what de Blasio kind of reminds me of? He's, he kind of reminds me of evil Big Bird. Does that make sense? It's like, hey, I'm big, like, I'm like tall and I'm Big Bird and I, you know, but like. But if Big Bird were evil and he was like, I'm just going to make sure there's people that. I can't do a Big Bird impression. Is that kind of close? No, not at all, right? Damn it. But he does. He's evil Big Bird. I think that I think that works for de Blasio because um, he's destroying the city. So it's like he walks around Sesame Street and he's like, how can I ruin this place? So now he's coming back to do just that. I think he's unfortunately going to be very successful in it. So we'll have to see. Uh, we got more coming up in a minute, team. Stay with me. All right, everybody, it is Friday, which means it is time for the uh, wit and wisdom of none other than Mr. Jesse Kelly. All Eight foot three of him. He's calling us from uh, Houston, Texas, where he is a host of the Jesse Kelly show, the host of said show. Uh, and he's on KPRC Houston and also will be joining me on Pluto TV on a soon to be announced brand new channel. We'll get to that at some other day. 
Jesse, great to have you, sir. It's good to be here, Buck. It's good to be above water. We've been getting absolutely massacred with rain again here in Houston. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I've heard nothing about this because you may you may not know this, Jesse, but unless the weather is affecting specifically the northeastern corridor of America, journalists tend not to care that much. No, <laughs> you're exactly right. And that's the funniest thing about weather is it is so local, and as soon as you, like, somebody could be getting hit with a tornado, and you'll see something about it on social media, and you're like, oh, that's safe, I'll say a prayer for him. but then you forget, you know, unless it's affecting you, weather doesn't matter, and that's just kind of how we are. Well, I'm glad you're okay down there, so the good news is we don't have to worry about you drowning, because you're always going to be above water. You're the guy who can stand in even the deepest end of the deep pool. Yes, yes. Yes, no matter what, I can just put my feet down and I stand eye to eye with the skyscrapers. So as long as they're fine, I'm fine. I'm pretty sure I would have been fine when God flooded the earth. There you go. Jesse Kelly, his own Noah's Ark. (laughs) He should make a T-shirt. So, Jesse, uh, we have, like, birds that nesting on his head and, like, you know, lions and hippos on his shoulders. Jesse, tell me a bit about uh, the, the climate change strike as you see it today. First of all, I know there are little Jesse Kellys running around. Are there schools letting them walk out in protest today, or do they believe in things like education? Okay, one, I don't have my children in government schools, and even if my non-government school-educated children had a climate change protest, one, that would be their last day at that school. Two, I would absolutely destroy both of my sons when they got home for attending said protest and skipping an education. That is called parenting, and it is something that used to happen in the United States of America, and since now we have insane leftists who think their kids are campaign props, and it's frankly disgusting. If I made a movie, you know how they've made some of these movies about a, a dystopian and, and bizarre future, there was, uh, or, or, or even just, it's all based on, on one premise that's really unsettling. There was that movie, uh, what was it, um, uh, something about the birds or whatever, and then you can't look out the window or look at the sky or else you'll be overtaken by this. This was on Netflix. I forget. It was like Bird Song or Bird something or other. Bird Box. I was going to say Bird Cage. That's a very different movie, also yeah. worthwhile. <laughs> That's a very, there's, yeah. there's different issues in the Bird Cage. Uh, but, I would, but there was you know, Bird Song. There's also uh, Quiet Place. If I made a movie about how everybody that I walked around to on the street was like, oh my gosh, the world's going to end in 10 years unless we do everything that I say, people would think that that's absurd. The weird thing is, Jesse, that's apparently when it comes to libs, the world that we live in. They really believe this crap. It is a religion. And, and you know what's funny, Buck, is I've never been able to, I mean, maybe you can come up with this. You're, you're the XCI guy. I, I've never been able to come with the percentages of the climate change movement. And here's what I mean by that. I know for a fact that there is a percentage of the climate change movement who believes it. They believe it all the way. They truly believe they are trying to save the Earth. Uh, they believe we're destroying the Earth and that we're all going to die. Okay, as asinine as, as, as that belief is, I believe that a percentage of the movement believes that. But I also know for a fact that there is a percentage, and I suspect it's a large one, that doesn't believe it, doesn't even come close to believing it. That's why none of these celebrities and politicians actually live the warning that they're putting on others, and that they just know it's a great way to achieve power and, and keep the masses 
clamoring for more government control. I mean, Barack Obama buying a $15 million beachfront resort right before he launches a big climate change thing with that Greta, whatever, foreign girl who came over here. Come on now. Leonardo DiCaprio lecturing everybody about their carbon footprint as he lives on a yacht for three months, churning gas out. I mean, these people don't believe that. So, Jesse, I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday yours truly caught some heat, sort of Jesse Kelly style, like people coming after me because they're saying I was being too edgy or something. All I said is that it is absurd for Congress to be taking testimony on climate change from a 16-year-old girl. They might as well ask her about the Fed rate. And then the Daily Beast, which is a a dumpster fire of woke stupidity, among other places where, you know, right-wing pundit bashes child, like like I'm a child abuser because I said this. And I'm just looking around, I was like, does anybody on planet, Jake Tapper had Thunberg, whatever her name is, uh, you know, on his show doing a whole segment on her about how brave this is and everything. Does anyone want to debate with me whether this is an intelligent idea or not, having 16-year-olds testify about complicated policy matters in front of the United States Congress? I think the answer is no, but they all take these little little cheap shots. You know, they, 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 hide, they hide behind the bleachers, but then they throw stuff at you when you're not looking. No, yeah, y'all, I'm sure you caught unbelievable heat for it, Buck, because if you think about it, in the very same way that Ilhan Omar and those people are, this Greta girl, whatever her name is, is the perfect mouthpiece for the left. They love math. They think you should be too afraid to criticize. Oh, she's a child. Oh, just, oh, but I understand she, now she's going through this, she's going through that. Look, if you're going to stand in front of Congress and try to go after my liberty, I don't care whether you're 5 or 85. It's fair game. Now, I don't blame her. I blame her horrible parents who took a child who I believe is autistic, they say, and you're, you're propping her up and throwing her in the mix of a political arena that's really nasty. This is all on her parents. But don't tell me who I can and can't criticize. You want to stand in front of Congress and try to take away my SUV and my cheeseburgers and everything else? Well, look, politics is a contact sport, and you're going to get contact. And I, I have to get your, your, your take on uh, Justin, Justin Trudeau, who I give a uh, kind of a Montreal Quebecois accent to, even though he technically doesn't have one. Uh, Trudeau, my, my favorite part of the whole Trudeau debacle is, is it's, not, it's not that this guy corrects people when they say mankind. He's like, no, no, please, we prefer humankind. I'm like, oh, you probably also prefer soy milk in your latte. Uh, but, you know, it's also that when they ask him after three, not one, not two, three blackface photos come out of this guy, and the press is like, hey, just wondering, are there any more of these? He's like, oh, I, I honestly don't know, and I, I, can't, I can't say. It's like, how can you not know? <laughs> you know what's funny, Mike? Is at the beginning of all this, you know, pictures of this guy came out and that guy came out and, and, and dressed up like a black dude or blackface or whatever you want to call it, I actually gave myself a minute and thought, did I ever do something like that? Like, I remember at some point in time when I was a kid, like, one of my biggest heroes was David Robinson. Everybody remembers David Robinson, the center for the first. And I'm almost positive at some point I dressed up like him for Halloween. But dang it, I don't think I thought to, to paint my face black. And it, but if I had, let me just say this, I wouldn't apologize to a single person. And if I actually did and that picture comes out, everybody can go screw themselves. Because I don't apologize to the rage mob. And there's a big difference between blackface which was done at minstrel shows for the sole purpose of mocking the intelligence of black people, 
in somebody trying to dress up like a black person. <laughs> there just is. I mean, a lot of times this is somebody you admire or respect or something. That's why you're dressing up like them. But all that said, Justin Trudeau is a victim of his own politics. So I'm actually thoroughly enjoying watching him get just abused over this whole thing because this is his politics. This but is what he lives for that cancel culture. Do, do you, do you so think? You know do you think that he's gonna uh, he's gonna escape this? Because you know today he's like we're going to take a very important step and. Uh, we're going to ban all assault rifles. It's like, oh, yes. Trudeau, you're yes. so cute. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, of course he'll get away with it. Every leftist gets away with it. As Governor Blackface Northam of, of Virginia, he's going to do what every leftist does. Uh, there'll be about a half an hour of media outrage, which we've already gotten through. Then he'll announce his stupid assault weapons thing or whatever other left-wing cause, which he already did. And then he'll go on some, quote, listening tour so he can, quote, better understand minorities out there. And that'll be enough for the press. By, by, by dinner time tonight, the press will be like, you know what, I think he's okay, we're good here. If he was a conservative, of course, he'd be destroyed for the next three months. But all you get is a little pat on the rear end. And you know what, I feel like he's improved. What's on the docket for Jesse Kelly's weekend? Cooking of large, salted steaks what's going on yes it's a big college and nfl weekend so i will be at a good old-fashioned texas meat shop first thing tomorrow morning selecting various meats that my family and i will consume but tonight sadly and i do mean this sadly my wife has signed me up for the neighborhood party you know how women love these neighborhood parties where you finally get done with the work week and you don't have to talk to anybody anymore or do anything, and you get home, and you immediately have to go hang out with other people. It is This is a woman thing. I don't know what this is, but it is the worst thing in the world. Look, I'm with you in that. I like the Larry David uh, episode where they talk about, forget about cancel culture, canceling plans, and whenever someone cancels yeah. plans with them, he's like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. You don't have to explain. Yeah. Like, I'm good. <laughs> I feel that yeah. way. Whenever yeah. someone cancels on me these days, I'm like, oh, wait, you mean I get to just wear pajama pants and a sweatshirt, watch Netflix and eat whatever food I want and not be bothered? I'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's exactly you know what? That's almost universal for guys. When guys knock off, that's been a long work week. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a great job. But you're finally done with everything. I want to go home and just relax. You know, I want to hang out with my son with the wife, watch something, go to bed at a decent... I don't want to have to go mingle and pretend to care what other people say. It's awful. It's absolutely yeah. unbearable. You, you would fit in with the curmudgeons here in the Freedom Hut. Neither me nor Mark nor John are about to throw the neighborhood block party anytime soon. Jesse Kelly, everybody, you will be seeing him on Pluto TV soon. Same channel as me. We're going to give you more details on that in the next week or so. And also, uh, please download the Jesse Kelly Show on uh, on itunes mr jesse kelly great to see you sir or talk to you at least and uh we'll talk to you soon be good brother take care if sanctions don't work and they continue their malign activity are there any other measures outside of a military option that can be taken that well i don't want to talk about that but i i will say i think the sanctions work and the military would work uh, but that's a very severe form of of winning but we win. Nobody can beat us militarily. Nobody can even come close. What we've done for our military in the last three years is incredible. All made in the USA, by the way. And uh, it's, it's really incredible. Uh, our nuclear was getting very tired. They hadn't spent the money on it. And now we have it 
in, as we would say, tippy-top shape. Tippy-top. It's, uh, we have new and we have renovated and it's, uh, it's incredible and we all should pray that we never have to use it. We should never have to use it. And our military itself is in phenomenal shape. I certainly hope that we don't use it on behalf of the Saudis, but I'm starting I'm starting to worry a little bit. I keep hearing about the options that are being discussed and thought about. And, um, you know, the Iranians are threatening total war. And as I as I discussed with you, we would look at the situation and say the Iranians can't win. It would be massively uh, damaging and and chaotic and, uh, you know. The, the Iranians know that the war would be there'd be tremendous casualties. And, and yet that doesn't mean that they wouldn't escalate into a full scale war. Uh, the Iranians fought a war and there were a million casualties in the 1990s. Um, you know, I'm sorry, 1980s, rather. The Iranians fought a war with Iraq back then. And I don't think that they would uh, take a prudent course of action here. Their economy is at a standstill and actually going down, down 3%, down 6%. I mean, once your economy starts shrinking 6 7 maybe 10% a year, which is what could happen if this continues on, um, then people get desperate. And the outrage on the streets becomes palpable. And the Iranians, more than anything else, want... The Iran- when I say the Iranians, I'm referring to the regime and the government. They want control. They want power. And... The external enemy phenomenon of the United States, Saudi Arabia, I'm sure they'll find a way to blame Israel for this, too. That's something that always looms in the background. Um, That's always the possible path that they would choose, which is to say, as long as they're fighting that external enemy, they will maintain they'll maintain power. Um, Also, you know, Trump had this long press conference. I watched it when it was going on today uh, when they aired it. And, you know, I, I. I'm a little concerned that the president's foreign policy right now feels stalled. Doesn't mean that it's wrong. Doesn't mean that he's made any major errors. But there does feel like, and I don't mean because Bolton left. I don't think that really matters. People have this idea that, oh, this person doesn't have this big government job. How will anything function? There's so many people in government doing all this stuff. I can tell you, every time there's any matter of any importance to the United States government on the national security side, there are thousands of people, thousands of people who are you know, looking at it, thinking about it, analysts who are drilling into it. I mean, it's just all over the place. Uh, but on China, we aren't getting anywhere in the negotiations yet. That doesn't mean we've lost, but yet. But here's Trump's view of this. He was uh, in a conversation today with the uh, prime minister of Australia. Gotta love the Aussies, man. Aussies just, as a people, have a great attitude. And I, I, I've... I've really never met an Aussie that I wasn't like, yeah, I like that guy or I like that gal. I'm a big Aussie fan. We're making a lot of progress with China. They're having a very bad year, worst year in 57 years. Uh, The tariffs are coming in to us. We're taking in billions and billions of dollars of tariffs. Uh, They're devaluing their currency, which means the tariffs are not costing us probably anything, but certainly not very much. They're also adding a lot of money into their economy. They're pouring money into their economy. Uh, But we're taking in many billions of dollars. At some point in the not-too-distant future, it'll be over $100 billion. We've never taken in 100 cents from China. It was always the other way around. Uh, With that, they've lost over 3 million jobs. Their supply chain is crashing. 
and they have a lot of problems. And I can tell you they want to make a deal that I can tell you they want to make a deal. So we'll see what happens. I'm not sure they want to make a deal. I think the president and I may depart on on that bit of uh, of analysis. Of course, he's closer to it than I am. He's the president. He's got a lot more information, but he's also been wrong about other stuff like who should he put in senior roles in his administration, which he will now admit. So let's not pretend that the president or any human being, for that matter, is uh, is beyond criticism and, and is not going to be wrong on some things. But I think that the Chinese right now are just going to they're in sit and wait mode. They want to see who the next president's going to be because they can win the trade war just by waiting for a president Warren or Biden or whomever the Democrats are going to put forward. Um, they, they can wait for that to happen and just take the pain in the meantime. Remember, the, the Chinese economy, while it's not booming the way that it was before, China is still growing. And uh, the Chinese government, as much as it is an authoritarian regime, this is a really interesting area of conversation that maybe we should get into another time if you're curious. But from my understanding of it and having spoken to many uh, Chinese business and uh, business leaders and you know economic thinkers over in China, they they have a different view of how important individual rights and freedom are in places like Beijing. It's different than Hong Kong, where they've had a sense, they've had a taste of freedom because of the uh, the British-imposed system that has been maintained there. It's different in China. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening. But the president has Iran and China atop the radar. Let's hope he makes the right call. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. I don't really know if I like the classic rock roll call. I think we might have to fade that one out. Producer Mark, you're, you're opinionated and salty. What do you think? I had never heard that before right now. John pulled it out of the, yeah, uh, the anals. John, John, you know, we go way back. Whoa, look at this. <laughs> two DJs, two DJs enter, one DJ leaves. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little too much of like a roll. Like someone went in the room, they're like, I'm going to do a Rolling Stone sound alike. It's a little bit, reminds me of when you, when they do those late night shows and they can't play the actual music of the of a, of a theme song for a show. So they do the like the close version of it, you know? It's like a bad cover band. Exactly. What do we got? What do we got? Buck, listen to this. Yeah, sure. You know where you are, America? You're in the Freedom Hub, baby. You're not going to die. I cannot believe somebody actually made. Where did that come yeah, John from? John just pulled these out. I don't know where DJ he got them. DJ John, from. you are a, you are a spicy man today. DJ John is a spicy meatball. We had those for about a year, and I never got around to <laughs> playing them. Oh come on, man! <laughs> really? So, so yeah, and then Mark took over, and I forgot you to tell him show, about him. You got to show producer Mark where all where all the fun the fun audio. Uh, Toys are okay, so that you know, in, in days when you're not here, uh, for everyone who's listening, John John is kind of helping us as we get ready for our transition to a different time and doing video and everything else. But uh, it's really going to be Buck and Mark making the magic happen every day. So it's it's going to be it's going to be quite a quite a thing when we we get it all going. And now I just realized also, do we start here, John? You tell me, do we start with the uh, emails today, or do we start with? Uh, you know what? Fine. We're going to start with Facebook today just because it's easier because I have it. I have it open. I figure why not? 
All right, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to send us in for the roll call. Oh, quick note. Last night, New York Young Republicans Club, we had over 225 people in attendance. 250 was the was my absolute, like, that would have been the perfect number. We were very, very close. Uh, 200 was considered capacity. We actually had to move to a different, a different space to get everybody in. So I just want to say that to the members of Team Buck who showed up, and there were a whole bunch of you, thank you so much. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed the speech. And uh, we'll do more events like that, both in the New York area and then hopefully across across the country. As long as, you know, Mrs. Producer Mark will let him travel sometimes. You know, she can let you she can let you roam a little bit. Yeah, why not? Yeah, as long as go. it's free, she won't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. We'll take care of that. All right. So, uh, no, it, it really was. It really was great last night. Although we did have we had a moment where we thought maybe we were going to have a. um. Someone, we were getting spam that was inappropriate spam on our phones from a Wi-Fi. And we didn't know if it was just like a prank from a nearby building or what, because it just didn't make any sense, right? Like we're getting, no, it was actually airdrops. So somebody was airdropping to anybody who had airdrop open on their iPhone, inappropriate photos during the event. Which I'd never heard of this tactic before. Do you know what this? Have you heard of this, John? Yeah, I heard that uh, some people send inappropriate pictures on the subway. You know, there's a you see a girl on her iPhone and you send an inappropriate. Not me or you, but well, as, as I understood it, actually, because we we're right, you know, right near street level, it could have even been. At first, I thought. I mean, I was telling the guys, I, I thought it might be a, a heckler, right, and that this was the way they were getting the heckling started, and then they're going to stand up and interrupt the speech. And I just got to say, I mean, I knew a lot of the people in the room and I could look at them and be like, these people love America and freedom. Like, I didn't see any filthy hippies in there. So, you know, obviously, I mean, filthy hippies, I could smell them a mile away. But when I was looking around the room, I just thought, OK, well, if there's one person who thinks they're going to stand up and make a mess here, I'm like, I got the Sexton brothers in the room. We, we had a whole bunch like this would be a very, very unfortunate decision to make. Um, but it, I, I think it might have even just been somebody walking by. Who does this? Like you can walk by and, and just send out a blast on your phone over air to anybody. I think it's within 30 yards and you just you just offer to airdrop people inappropriate photos. Yeah, it's like a violation. If it, some people get off on that kind of stuff, you know, it's like um, so we, I'd never seen that before. I, I we all looked at each the, other. We're like, why is this on our phone? That's why I turned off airdrop on my phone. You know, uh, I, sh- I, I read about that. The good news is that most of that audience, I think there are only about probably 10 of us that actually got this thing, but we all got it. And because most people don't have airdrop or, or they don't have an iPhone. So uh, when you add those two things in, but that was weird, man. I was ready. I told the guys, I was like, look, we'll escort somebody out. And they're like, are you worried about physical security? I was like, please don't let the poofy hair fool you. Okay. Mr. Buckster can handle himself. There's there are zero concerns about some like filthy Antifa Antifa maniac being like, I'm gonna get you. I'd be like, dude, this is not your day. It's not a good Antifa! one. Exactly. They do not want it. They don't they don't want none of this. They don't want none of this the swoop haired killer. Um all right, here we go. Kristen. Do Shrek and Shrek 2 not count as Eddie Murphy films? I think both are far above coming to America. Kristen, interesting. Oh, I didn't think of that either. I didn't think of that wow. either. I don't, you know, I don't know how we go with that. Because look, the first, I didn't, I didn't see Shrek 2. 
I do think that uh, Puss in Boots was one of my favorite characters in any of it, and I heard the Puss in Boots movie wasn't so great, but I don't know. I was too old at that point to watch a Puss in Boots movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Antonio Banderas playing a very smooth, suave cat who knows the swordplay, and also he's very good at... uh, Yeah. So, Shrek and Shrek 2, very good movies. I'm assuming Shrek 2 is. Shrek 1 was great, but they're animated. I think just like, you know, I think you got to put animated in a different category. And it's really not an Eddie Murphy film. He voices a character. So, yeah. There you go. That's But, but Kristen, a very fair point, and it got us all thinking about it. Let's see what we got here. John Shields High, Real News and Commie Bear fan. Uh-oh. We are probably going to have to bring back Commie Bear now that we're going to be televising stuff. The new Rambo movie sounds a lot like the movie Commando, where the anti-gun nut Alyssa Milano was kidnapped. And her father comes to her rescue by killing a small city of bad guys with every gun known to man. I wonder if she's still taking residuals for that. John, I can tell you, having seen the movie Commando far, far too many times, uh, that movie is really like a guns and ammo catalog advertisement. It's just, just, he's just running around like, and now I have a shotgun. And now I'm firing the Smith & Wesson. And now I have the AK-47. And now I have, like, he just, have you ever seen it? I've never, I don't know how this guy was, he must have been carrying 50 different weapons on him. He's running around. He's got, for, my, my favorite is when he one hand fires while lying down the M16 on full auto. That's next level right there. Just like one handed, like, he, like he's firing a, a 22 pistol. But he also runs around with, uh, he definitely pulls out the AK-47. He's got, um, Throwing knives. I mean, I feel like throwing knives are big in the 80s. It's not a, I don't think you usually, if you're in a combat situation, you have to go for the throwing knife. It's probably been a bad day. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're not using a knife anymore. Yeah, you're not using, you're not, you're not throwing a knife at somebody. Chances are they'll be like, did you just throw a knife at me? <laughs> Come on. Like, be, even at if least you hit it'd be them, comical if it's like a chef's knife. Even, I mean, even if you hit them, it's going to like stick in their shoulder about, you know, a quarter of an inch for a second, and then they're going to pull it out and be like, really? You're going to throw a, Throw a knife at me? Anyway. Uh, let's see. Tom. Hi, Buck. Am I the only one who finds the ironic hypocrisy of the left getting outraged over the possibility that President Trump offered Ukraine aid in exchange for investigating the possibility that Biden, as VP, offered to withhold aid unless they fired the investigator looking into Hunter Biden? But they couldn't care less about Biden's potential wrongdoing, asking for a friend. Shields high. No, I mean, this is what I'm saying, man. You know, they, they can they can weaponize the DOJ. They can set up FISA stuff. They can do whatever they want against a presidential candidate using the full power of the federal government in secret against that candidate, Trump. But now while Trump is president, he doesn't get to say, hey, can you root out corruption in your country? If that corruption happens to touch upon uh, Hunter Biden, well, too bad. That's what I think. Um, Bob, right? Whoa, hold on. Bob, I, I, you're, I keep getting this book in appointment thing whenever I look at Facebook messages. What is that? Are people trying to book appointments with me? I'm not a masseuse. I, I think that's uh, one of the default things that you can uh, oh. you can click when you're messaging. You're, like, like, you're technically a business on Facebook. Oh, I am a business. That's yeah. true. The business of Buck. So they want to uh, book an appointment with Buck. Yeah, but I'm not like a chiropractor guy. So you, if you need need someone to adjust your neck, 
You got to get somebody else. Uh, Bob writes, oh, not for roll call. Well, then that's not for roll call. We got to go on. Tracy, see, we respect the not for roll call. Just don't put it at the, don't write, P.S., this very intense and personal note I've sent you, please don't read it aloud to hundreds of thousands of people across America. I'm like, okay, too late. Uh, Let's see. Tracy writes, regarding your episode last week about HUD and how they use it to central plan living, what you said rings true with me. I lived in the south suburbs of Chicago, and that is what Daly used to get the projects knocked down. All the crime and drugs and gangs were sent to the Section 8 housing in my small town. It ruined our community. What was once a middle to lower middle class town of everyday people who struggled but kept things decent turned into a hellhole. You would not believe the difference in just five years. Stores closed, boarded up homes. My in-laws had the most beautiful home on the block, and they poured their blood, sweat, and tears into it for over 20 years. Today it is boarded up, and there's a tree growing out of the front porch my husband helped build as a child. It's heartbreaking. I know what those policies do. You are so right. Thank you for speaking up. I thought nobody understood. Shields high. Tracy. P.S. You're my favorite talker on the radio. Always have been. Well, Tracy, thank you so much. I really, I really do appreciate that. Um, and as for uh, your story, it doesn't, I'm sorry to say, it doesn't surprise me. This is what central planning is. People that usurp authority for themselves and the government that they should not have, making decisions that affect your life, that they are not accountable for, and that they're not in a position to make well, meaning that they're not going to make good decisions, and when they make bad decisions, no one's going to care. So I think that is important. Uh, that's important to keep in mind. But Tracy, thank you again for your kind words. And there were so many people last night at the uh, New York Young Republicans Club who came out who just had very nice things to say about my show. And I will always tell you this. It really does mean a lot to me. So don't ever think that I, if I just am saying thank you, that that's some mechanical response that actually uh, I'm to this day still very, uh, very grateful. People always say humbled, and that's true too, but that sounds a little self-gratifying. I'm so humbled by everything. But I, really, I, I am very grateful that I get to do this job, having done other jobs. Um, I get to do this job because you all listen. Let's get uh, to a quick pause here. We'll come back. We'll finish out Roll Call Strong. As we do, stay with me. All righty, Josh writes, my favorite barbecue is chopped mutton. There's a spot in my hometown called Old Hickory that has awesome chopped mutton. Also, one of my favorite Eddie Murphy movies is Meteor Man. It's a really cheesy movie, but I loved it as a little kid. Keep up the awesome show, Shields High. Well, hopefully I'm not going to lose a listener here, Josh, but I think both of your choices are very poor. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Josh, I respect you too much to lie to you, Josh. We go way back, all right? You are a rude, yeah. terrible person. It's, that's, that's fair. I deserve that. There's a whole episode of Seinfeld about how disgusting mutton is. I mean, I believe it. Would you, would you ever eat mutton? No. I don't even know what it is, and I don't want it. It's like, am I, in, and I'm, am I in an episode of Downton Abbey? Oh, tonight on the menu, we have um, mutton with uh, a mint jelly. I don't think so. It's not. It's what not animal is it? It's a sheep, yo. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Bah. Yeah, that's not. Goat can be good, but goat can also be. I've eaten some goat in my day. I've been, in some, I've been in some countries. The problem with goat is when you see what the goats in third world countries are eating and how they're essentially bathing themselves sometimes in trash and raw sewage. You're like, 
I hope they have a very strong immune system because I feel like I probably shouldn't be eating them after this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. They don't seem like animals you want to eat. Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. Um, but you know, maybe we we could put some goats along. Are you, you're a New Jersey guy, right? Long Island. You're Long Island. I am. We're learning things in real time here on the Buck Sex. Yeah. I just assumed you were. Yeah, I'm originally from Queens. Well, we knew that. Yeah. yeah that, that, that goes obviously. that goes without saying. Yeah. Long Island. Rock. I mean, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Nassau County. Yes. Rockville, Long Beach. Rockville Center. Close to that. Long Beach. I was close. Yeah. Yeah. Not far from uh, Bill O'Reilly Levittown. Yes. I know I know what's up. I know the Long Island. You do. I know the Strong Island. All right. Fair enough. Rockville Center. Long Island's very nice. Very nice. Queens, Queens is, is, but here's the question. Is Queens an appendage of Long Island? No. Or is Long Island an appendage of I get mad when people say I'm from Long Island. No, I'm from Queens. I'm from the city. I now live on <laughs> Long Island, but I'm from Queens. You see that, John? He was ready for that. Yeah. He knew that was coming. Everyone tries to say that. I'm like, no. Yeah. My argument is that Long Island City is in Queens. So there you go, Mark. Wow. Look at that. Eh. It's, it's part John, of New York Bronx City. Guy. Yeah, that's right. The Bronx. That's how they get down. All right. David. Let's see if we get to this, David. Here we go. Ah, uh, Whoa, here we go. Um, by the way, Northam has refused to appear on our monthly local... WRVA meet the governor where he takes calls from constituents. The double standard in the media is predictable but still astonishing. If a picture of George Allen or any other conservative politician ever surfaced, it'd be on the front page of the Richmond Times Dispatch. Don't think they have been. Don't think they haven't been looking for them. Take care, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Um, yeah, man. I hear you on that. The double standard is real. Brent writes, a little upset that Greta Thunberg is far more intelligent than you. Well, Brent, seeing as you have a photo of Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> who's a fake Indian, as your Facebook avatar, I think we know all we need to about you, my friend. Good luck with that. Enjoy. Enjoy that one. Uh, let's see. Jeff, can you tell me more about yourself? I'm a Christian husband, father, and professional woodworker. My full-time job is as a custodian in middle school. On today's show, you mentioned bacon-scented candles. Yankee Candle makes one. It smells exactly like bacon, not some cheap imitation. Well, Jeff, I'm going to have to get myself onto Amazon.com or YankeeCandle.com or whatever and get a bacon-scented candle or just leave all the bacon grease that I constantly have out on the counter because I'm messy, which is more likely the option that I'm going to go for. Um, but that's what I got for you today here in the Freedom Hut squad. That's right. We're not letting them take that term away from us. Squad can mean all of us. Have a fantastic weekend. Talk to you Monday. Shields high.